Hello, welcome to First Person, a podcast brought to you by Coleman FBC. I'm Chuck, and during the next few minutes, I'll join you, the listener, as we meet and get to know others in the First Baptist family. Together, we'll learn about them, their families, and what brought them to Coleman. First, I want to thank the production team of Karen Harmon and Vance Donahue for their help in making this podcast available. Well, good morning. I'm here today with a special, special guest. Chad Floyd is here. Uh, Chad has been a member of First Baptist Church for a long time, but we're, we, we asked him to come in and just kind of tell us about himself. You see him most Sundays playing bass guitar uh, with, in our 930 service, and he's been part of the music ministry team for several years and all the time that I've been here the past five years. And so kind of gotten to know Chad and I want you to get to know him as a first as part of our first person broadcast. So, Chad, let me just welcome you. It's good to have you. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for inviting me. I certainly appreciate the invitation. I look forward to hanging out with you guys a little while today. Well, it's good to have you. And Chad is a I would say he's a renaissance man. He's got all kinds of things going and all kinds of interests, beautiful family. And so we're going to just kind of delve into those a little bit and and find out about him so that it's always nice when you see somebody at church, and many of you already know Chad, but a lot of folks may not know, and they see you up there, and they think, well, wonder about that guy. You know, wonder about that guy. So this is your opportunity to find out all about him. And so first thing I'd like to ask you is, and I I would assume that I know the answer to this, but tell me where you're from. When you first meet somebody, if somebody's a new acquaintance, the, the first thing they want to know, especially in the South, where are you from? So tell me where you're from, where you grew up. I grew up here in Coleman County. I grew up out at West Point, as did my wife. We uh, we both finished high school together out at West Point in 1995. That used to not seem so long ago, but it's getting farther and farther every year. Right. <laughs> we have uh, we have three children, so we we have them in range from you know 17, and our, our middle child is 14. Our youngest is five, so that's Cole, Audrey, and Cooper, a senior, a freshman, a kindergartner. I'm convinced that there has got to be a special club that I've joined having both a senior and a kindergartner at the same time, but I would have it no other way. We, we have, we're quite blessed and, and, and have a wonderful family. Well, it is wonderful. Like when you have them, I had two, mine are like 10 years apart altogether. So my, my oldest son is 10 years older than my youngest son. So a lot changes in your life there in your perspective. And then I have my brother, he has, you know, like a, a young, young son compared to his his oldest son is like 40-something, and his youngest is like 22 or something. So they, they're kind of like you guys. They had that experience. But, you know, I, I just think your perspective changes. And so when you have that little one, it's just a total, total different thing. So tell me about your family, how you, where you grew. I know you said you grew up in, in West Point, your family, brothers and sisters, and all that kind of stuff. So my mom and dad, they, they grew up, both of them grew up in Coleman County as well. Uh, they both finished high school at West Point. I have one brother. He also finished at West Point. He and his wife live out on the east side of Coleman now. They've started going to our church here as well. Uh, my parents joined here at First Baptist about, I'm going to guess, about two months ago. They went through the the Discover First class, and I guess it was two Discover Firsts ago that they that they went through, and then they joined after that. My wife and I, you mentioned that I'd been going here as long as you had, we actually moved back to Coleman. We were we were gone from Coleman for a few years. We moved back to Coleman in August of 2006. I had one child at that time, and because we were living in the city, I thought, well, I would like to find us a church here in the city 
just so maybe that the kids he goes to school with would also be some of the kids that he gets to go to church with and and build those good, deep relationships with one another. And we had grand intentions of trying several churches, but uh, we tried First Baptist first and never tried a second. So it was just we, we just fell in love from the moment we came here. And So you knew you'd landed in the right place. We did. We, yeah. we truly did in August of 2006. And we didn't join the, the first Sunday we were here, obviously. And I, I, I'm sorry, I can't tell you exactly what month we joined after that, but it wasn't long. Like I said, we with, within the first visit, I thought we really, really liked it. And, right. You know, we we, we kind of knew we were home. I think even from the from the first right. time that we attended. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's been a great experience here. Uh, we, we we love First Baptist. So you grow up you grew up in West Point, and you and Amanda, your wife Amanda, you you knew each other through school. Is that correct? We did. We we started elementary school together. We've, okay. We've we we didn't date in high school, but we've known each other and been been friends a long time. Um, I went uh, when when I finished high school, I went to the University of Alabama, and I was there for for four years. Then I went to work. I, I worked for a period of time, about almost three years, before I started law school. Okay. Um, I went like I said. I went to Tuscaloosa. For my undergrad, uh, and then and then when I went to law school, I went to Mississippi, over at Mississippi College, which is the the, the Baptist school, right? Yeah, uh, over in Mississippi, and um, and then after finishing that degree, I did I continued to work in Mississippi for another year before we moved home. I went ahead and got licensed in both Mississippi, and then the, the next time that the bar exam was offered, I got licensed in Alabama. Okay. And, you know, it wasn't when, when I finished law school. We weren't necessarily just looking to move home. You know, as, as a as an absolute part of the plan. But it's one of those things. I think as as a as an attorney, you don't want to wait ten years, fifteen years. You know, and get sort of mid career and then try to move states. You know, you you really want to do those things like that right at the beginning of yeah, a career, rather than getting established and then right. and then trying to move. You don't want to. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, move four or five hours away after establishing a relationship with a lot of clients. There's so along the way, there. When did you and Amanda get married? Like after after the four year college? We or? did. We did. We got married in. Uh, so I finished college in May of 1999. We got married in 2000. I got you. Yeah, and you and some people may know this. I know this, but you you played football at Alabama, right? I did. I was able to walk on when I was down there and uh, walked on as a place kicker, and I played in. 1997, 8, and 99. Really? And, and I've, I've joked with people. I said I was on a really a really bad team, a really mediocre team, and a really good team. You know, in, in, <laughs> in that three-year period, yeah. we we uh, we started. And I, the, the entire time that I was there, my head coach was Mike DuBose. Right. Our first year was a really rough season. You know, we went four and seven. And um, and, and the, the, the middle season, I think we went seven and five. And uh, – Final season went ten and three. You know, had an opportunity right. to play in the SEC championship and wow. and beat Florida and go on to the Orange Bowl. Ended up losing the Orange Bowl in in overtime. Yeah, uh, against Michigan and uh, some quarterback that you know, I think his name was Tom Brady. I think he went on to do something else. I yeah. can't I can't remember <laughs> yeah, if he's done anything I, else or I, not. I yeah, you kind of scraped by. So you weren't there during the Stallings time. You were just immediately prior to that, right? Immediately after. Oh, after. immediately okay. after. Yeah, Coach Stallings last his his last game oh, okay. would have been. Uh, the Outback Bowl in January of '97. So I, got you. I came on in March of '97. That spring See, training. Yeah, so kind of an interim period there. Yeah, it really was. was. Coach Dubose was there for one more season after I left. Uh, they right. actually began that season. A lot of people 
would probably remember this. They began on the road against UCLA, and they were so highly ranked. We were ranked number three at the beginning of the season, and we're just expected to go out and, and really, really yeah. have a great game against UCLA, and we went out and, and just got obliterated. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of the beginning of the end, I think, for Coach Dubos. I think they only won three games that season. Hmm. And uh, you know, I, I hated to see that come to an end for him because it was a dream job for him, and it was – it was uh, it was something that he loved the university and oh, and, yeah. and uh, he was really good to his players and, and yeah. he and I had a real, really good relationship and um, I hated to see see that but certainly the things that have come since then oh yeah uh, Coach Saban's obviously been incredibly yeah. successful in that position sure. as well sure and I imagine that what's interesting is the perspective that you have on the whole thing is you know I always think to myself it. It would be interesting because, as a player on a on a team like that, it, the the perspective that you'd have would be just so totally different than your average John Q person. Now we all think we know everything, you know, all these fans do. And I'm thinking if I've am I if I've been a player and I've been part of that, I probably think, my word, these people they do not have a clue what's involved in this. Am I right about that? Well, and and I think to date myself a little bit. The internet was certainly a thing. I mean, when I went to college, it was really it was really in its infancy. In 1995, uh, you know, that's when I was getting my first email address when I'm yeah. moving on campus at the university. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you're, you're the noise from a dial-up modem. And, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, everything was new, and we're all getting used oh, to this this thing, this this internet, and you know, who in the yeah. world knows how this thing really works? But you know, back then, you still read the Tuscaloosa news and the Birmingham news for the for the for the for the real stories. Now there were there were things that were coming out and happening called Tider Insider and <laughs> chat rooms and things like that were were really yeah. so this burgeoning industry that were yeah. really starting to take off. And so but a lot of things that you would see back then were were still in the paper. And I can remember several times seeing you know, seeing things in the paper and hearing things and I'm thinking, that's not right. That's that's not going on at all within our locker room. You know, you'd hear these terrible stories about how you know, this quarterback has got the room divided and that quarterback's got the support of these guys. And I'm thinking, I think y'all are overthinking this. We're just a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds just trying to get on the field out here. I, I really don't see it as a war inside that locker room right. like like it's being described yeah. out here. And and yeah. so, yeah, I, I think I think even now it's even more prolific just because oh, yeah. everybody, everybody's got that medium yeah. of, of, of Facebook and social media that, oh, that they can – Say whatever they like. That was like Gene Stallings. He said, "Really, the biggest concern for most of these kids is, is am I going to get to travel?" Sure, that's what he said. He said, "You know, the, he said they want to be able to travel with the team." You know, he, he said it was funny. He said, I "Love those kids." He said, "He loved those kids like that." He said, "They're just want, they're part of the team. They just wanted to be able to go where the team went." You know, a lot of times, I guess everybody doesn't travel. Is that right? I don't. Oh, know. Oh, absolutely. Said I didn't travel till till my yeah. senior year, and and even then, it wasn't. I didn't get to go to every like yeah. the away games. So, and I can't tell you whether it's changed or not since yeah. I've left as far as the numbers. But when I was there, if you played an SEC game, the away team only traveled seventy five players. Oh, I see. The home team got to dress eighty five players. Oh, so there was. To me, it's yeah. odd that they would make an advantage like that to a home team, allowing them to dress ten more. But they they did, and I suspect they still do. But. Um, you know, when you're when you're a kicker, they they only need so many of you, and, and it's better to have. You know, backup quarterbacks and backup left tackles, and you know, guys that are really, really going to make a difference. And right. you know, if you're third on the depth chart, that we can probably leave you home today. Right? <laughs> if we can let you stay here. You yeah. Just, 
keep the place warm for you. Yeah. So where did Amanda go to school? Did she go to school at Alabama as well, or did she go here? Or She did not. She started She started school at Wallace and then transferred to Montevallo. Okay. She finished her, her undergrad at Montevallo. Her education's in chemistry, and then okay. she added on a, a fifth-year degree in education. Okay. Yeah. So that My wife has her degree from the fifth-year program at Montevallo, actually. That's right. Where she has an education degree, too. So, so along the way— you decided to come back to Coleman and practice here. That's right. Is, is my understanding. Did you do that on your own or does your dad, is your dad an attorney? Or? He's not. My dad was in education. Okay. He, he was a teacher right. and, uh, and uh, you know, eventually moved to the, and became a principal out at West Point Elementary. And okay. then he moved to the central office where he uh, was over the department, the, their transportation division. He was the, yeah. he was a supervisor yeah. over the department of, so when you came back here, were you by yourself at first, or were you with another attorney? Or? No, I was with with a couple of other guys at first, and then and then I did start my own office after a I couple see. of years. And yeah. uh, so I was in private practice in total, counting my year in Mississippi for eleven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and after that, I went. I was I was hired by the county commission to become the county attorney. Okay. So I represented, you know, our county commission and all the mm-hmm. entities that are under their management. That was for a period of almost five years that I that I represented them. Yeah. So get me up to speed on how you made the, the leap into being a judge. I mean, I think that's – we were talking about it before we started the broadcast. You know, that's kind of one of those – that would probably be one of those occupations that people probably wouldn't have a lot of understanding of. I, I don't think I would either. I know they're normally attorneys and – they become judges and all that kind of stuff. So how did that leap take place? Yeah. So in February of 2020, um, Judge Cheney, who had been on the bench for 27 years, so, you know, just a, a mentor of mine and just is just a great friend and was a great judge to practice in front of when I was mm-hmm. in private practice. But uh, he decided to retire. And, you know, a lot of these people, and Judge Cheney's one of them for me, they don't, they don't realize how much influence they have over your life and, you know, over oh, your yeah. development within a career. But he certainly had a lot of influence within, you know, w- with respect to, to me and my development within the profession. And um, so Judge Cheney decided to retire in February of 2020, and that created the opening. Now, when an opening like that occurs, it's uh, it's the governor's task then to fill that opening by appointment. Oh, I see. And so, I, like I said, I was serving as the county attorney at that time and, and had no, no intention of leaving that position, but— uh, I had always said that if Judge Cheney stepped down or if you know if that job came open, that was a job that I would consider running for. It was the only job that I would consider running for. In fact, there was nothing else that would have that would have drawn me away mm-hmm. from being the county attorney. I loved loved that position. I loved serving our county, and I loved the guys that I that I got to work with in that position. But when that came open, uh, I did you know through through a whole lot of reflection and prayer and you know just discussions with my wife and family that we decided to. To uh, to do all we could to seek that appointment, and and that's a whole process itself. But either way, we get to May the excuse me March the thirteenth. The reason that date is it sticks in my head, I guess, for a few reasons. One, it was a Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> yeah, but that's the day that the governor called me and appointed me to the position. Oh, I see. Well, the uh, I've always kind of laughed and said that she had two things on her agenda to do that day. Is one to appoint a district judge in Coleman, and two, to walk in the other room and hold a press conference shutting the state down. Now, that was the day that we went under the state of emergency 
right at the beginning of COVID. Oh, my goodness. If we remember those days. So it was very interesting for me in that, you know, hey, uh, I'm appointing you to this job and you're not going to be able to have court for a while. You know, <laughs> this is this is your dream job and you've uh, you've always thought you wanted to do this. I'm going to let you do it, but uh, not yet. Oh. So, you know, I got to be really it gave me a lot of time to sort of learn how the software worked and mm-hmm. from uh, an office management side, but just not having court in person yet. Oh, I see. That's interesting. Well, I see. <clears throat> I know you're involved in a lot of things, of course, and, and being in that position. But one thing I, I see often is your work with, and I'm going to, you, you can fill me in on this, but is it is it like drug court or how that how that works? But I just, I'll see pictures of you recognizing somebody who have, who has completed a program and so tell us about that, because I, I know that's got to be a, a fulfilling thing. It looks like it would be. So tell us about that. You don't know how glad I am you asked me that question. <laughs> that's the one thing I was hoping we'd get to talk about today is our, right. our drug court program. So drug court is is a very unique animal. It's, um, it's a program in which an individual comes in and pleads guilty on the front end. Okay, so from the get-go, and this is this is what I sort of – Reach with our folks is, you know, our program is built on honesty and accountability. And, and, you know, on the backside, we're built on those results mm-hmm. that come from that. But on the front end, these are individuals who've been charged with a felony offense. It's a drug possession offense. It's it's right. not a felony offense like, a, you know, a robbery or uh, some sort of a violent, bur- you know, a burglary or rob- robbery, any sort of a violent offense. The, the ones that come into my program are, are drug possession offenses. That's, that's you know, 99.9% of what comes into that program. They can't have any prior felony convictions, okay? So when that person comes in, though, they're admitting on the front end, we're being really honest about why we're here, uh, you know, and, and what, what led us to be here, and, and we're recognizing that problem on the front end, and we're going to then address that problem. That program is designed for them to be within that program with us for 12 months. Now, when they, when they enter that program, they're going to do a whole lot of things. I've got a, I've got a sort of a task list for them. First and foremost, they're going to go through something called intensive outpatient therapy. That's There's 48 separate one-hour sessions. A really ambitious individual will get that done in about five to six months. The 48, we call them IOP, so Mm -hmm. intensive outpatient sessions. Uh, We'll get that done five to six months. I also require them to do 52 hours of community service here within our community, okay? That's something new that I added when I took over. Uh, and Judge Cheney and Judge Nicholas had had started and built this program. You know, when you take over a program, you kind of want to, you know, you'll make it your own, put your own fingerprints on the, on the program. And that was mine. Um, I felt like after after just sort of you know, working within the program as a private attorney and then just sort of seeing it from the outside, what I, what I felt like I could do is the, the impact I felt we could have. So many of these individuals who come into our program just simply – their, their self-esteem is 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 maybe a little bit lower than we would like it to be. Maybe they've just not ever been told that they have value. Maybe they've not ever been told that you know somebody's told them good job or that they that they're believed in. So I want to help them introduce them to other people within our community and hopefully through that community service. That's fifty two hours that they get to spend with hopefully sort of a new network of individuals. If they've heard me say this once, they've heard me say say it a thousand times. I want I want to help you change your playmates and change your playground, you know. Because I mean, what we know is that we know if if what got us into this mess is is X, and mm-hmm. we go back to doing X after we get out of this program, we're going to wind up right back in the same situation. And because we've had that prior felony conviction, this is not going to be available for us again. This is a this is a one shot deal. Like I said, we we do the intensive outpatient services. 
we do the 52 hours of community service. All this entire time, they're, go, they're also going through what you call self-help meetings. That could be for their individual issues. It could be Narcotics Anonymous. It could be Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, these things to, to just continue to reinforce what we're trying to teach there through right. our program. They're also going to be subjected to random drug screens through our court referral office the entire time that they're in our program, and they're going to pay the fee, and the fee is $175 a month. It's a self-sustaining program because of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a program that's taking you know tax dollars out of the, out of the Coleman right. County stream right. to run the program. So you know, the, the fact that these individuals, they're, they're paying for this program themselves right. to run it, it, it just it further, it further strengthens my, you know, my conviction that this program works. And, right. and, you know, on the back end, you look at the results. So many of these individuals who, who go through this program, we do have a, a certain percentage. Sure. They're probably going to come through and they're not going to be successful. Perhaps it's because I do a bad job on the front end mm-hmm. of screening them and, and thinking that they'd be a great fit for our program. And, and they're just not. Some folks are just not ready, you know, and that's right. that's that's recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, recovery is not. It's 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 not a hundred percent success the first time for a lot of folks. Yeah. Some it's folks, not, it is. Yeah. It's not pretty. You can't just say put a nice little bow on it. It's it's different for folks, and I'm sure it is. And what I've learned about it that you know, as, as badly as we, we hate to admit it, with respect to recovery, relapse is a part of that for a lot of folks. Right. Uh, we we would love to avoid that, but the fact is, it's it, it is true that relapse is is a part of that for a lot of folks. And what we want to do is, you know, we recognize that we don't. We don't condone it, uh, but it, but it is, and we address it if it if it occurs. We address it what, with whatever's appropriate professionally for them. Some folks have to take a break from our drug court program and go to an inpatient rehab for six months. Hmm. Some folks are gone for a year. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a it, we we take it serious. Once we once we let them into our program, we want to see them succeed. Oh, I, I mean, I, and and I love these folks that are in this program. It breaks your heart. When they oh, don't yeah. make it, because I want to see them succeed, but there's nothing right. more fulfilling and gratifying for me in this position is to get to stand there and hand them that certificate of completion. And that's what I've seen. Yeah, yeah and it's cool. And I want to celebrate that. Yeah. That's a huge accomplishment for these individuals. Oh, yeah. They've been in this program for a year, and it is—it's not an easy program. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier for somebody to say, "I'll just take a felony offense and and move on," you know, and not have the requirements of drug court because it's rigorous. Mm. It really is. Yeah. But the 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 carrot, the proverbial carrot at the end of the stick for folks is that they get that charge dismissed I see. against them and, and they don't have to go to prison. You know? I got you. And that's – so I mentioned this on the front end. We we do sentence them. I go ahead and I take that plea mm-hmm. and I sentence them to prison on the front end and we just hold that sentence in abeyance and say, oh, so long as you do what you're supposed to do in this program, we're going to keep this over here and we're not going mm. to to impose that sentence. And yeah. And that's 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 what I like to see. You know, I like yeah. to see folks go, you know, heading heading toward that goal of getting their case dismissed and right. completing the program. Well, here's a, here's to kind of back up a little bit. So, and I would say you would probably, you know, echo this. So, just from outside appearance looking in, God has put you in a position where you would have never probably dreamed, like you say, you're doing one thing, you're an attorney, then you're a county attorney, and then you wind up in this position. And and then God puts you in a position to really affect people's lives. And I, I think as a believer, when I look at that, and I know you're obviously a believer, and I, how, does the, how does the aspect of being a believer, how does that tie in with what you're doing as far as vocationally? It, it would have to. Now, I know— Understand law is law, and there's certain things that you know. But your belief system, your what you believe, and 
how you operate has to have a part in that. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what 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 better representation is it of somebody coming in to a program like that and being given a second chance? All sure. of us as believers have been given a second chance, right? You know, just because of Christ's actions on the cross, we've been given a second chance in life. Right. You know, and and you know, the, these are individuals who. Like I said, it's not for everybody. It's not. It's for people who are willing to say and to be honest on the front end that, that they've got a problem here. But yeah, I'm, I'm thankful every day that I get to work in this in this position, in this profession, and, and specifically my position with, with drug court program just because, I mean, it's quite fulfilling to see somebody truly turn their life around. Mm-hmm. I see so many individuals who come in, and they're, they're a mess. And that, listen, I'm not— Talking about anybody behind their back, they would sit here beside me and echo, "Hey, I was a mess when I came right. to that program." We don't, you know, we talk about getting them from the beginning, and so many of them in the beginning are still in an active addiction or or fighting off this active addiction, and so it's often not pretty the things that we're dealing with on the front end, and we we oftentimes have some bumps right on the front end before right. we sort of plane out and find our, our new normal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me ask you this. So, and I always ask folks this, but tell us about how you became a Christian. What your, how that happened, how that came about. I I love to hear folks tell us. You know, well, I was, and some. You know, it's funny how people are. A lot of us think, well, I had a pretty boring life, really, and they have a, But it's always exciting to hear how you came to know Christ. So just share with us how you how you became a Christian, how you got to know Christ. Well, and and here's what I would say about this: when you know Tom and I, Pastor Tom and I, have talked about this, and and um, years ago, I used to talk about how you know I felt like when people give their testimony, some folks can give a testimony that would just raise the hairs on your arm about how they were in, you know, perhaps they were, you know, in in drug addiction, or maybe they were, you know, in, in all sorts of things that. To a to to another individual hearing it who didn't go through that like wow they've got a they've got an incredible story and I don't really have that <laughs> you know and what I would say for me I was eight years old when when I became a Christian I was raised in a home with both parents and they took us to church every week and 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 what what Pastor Tom and I've talked about you know thank God I was spared mm-hmm. having to live that life and and you know going out so far in sin because you know I don't know that I would ever Turn back from that, really. I, I, God I, knows what He's doing. Sure, yeah. he, well, obviously, yeah. but yeah, but, uh, yeah I, I feel like I have a, a boring, a boring uh, testimony when it comes right. to that. But thank God it doesn't have those types of yeah gory details with respect to drug use and addiction and all those kinds of things right. that that I see on a daily basis professionally. Um, yeah, mine. I, I grew up out at Bethlehem West. It was a missionary Baptist church out between West Point and Battleground, and. And uh, and that's when when I accepted Christ. Now, what I would say about that, I feel like when I really got closer mm-hmm. and began to develop a personal relationship with Christ, I was in college. Yeah. When I really, really began to to feel like I was diving deeper and 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 growing that relationship uh, on on a on a daily basis, I, wow. I feel like I was I was certainly in college when when I got there and began to to mature a little bit. You know, most of the time, I, I have when we we do these, and I ask folks about that. That is exactly what a lot of folks will say. And myself, I put myself in this camp. I knew I needed a savior when I was a third grader. 
I understood that I was lost, and I accepted Christ, just like exactly what you're saying. But there came a time later on in my life where then I just lived my life and carried on, but then there came a, a point there, you know, like toward the end of high school, first of college, where I began to really understand what that meant, and and it became real to me, and, and I became close with with God, you know. So I, I think a lot of people are, are in that in that same camp. So you're here at First Baptist. Give us a, just a thumbnail sketch of what you're involved in. You know, one of the things we ask new folks when they come to First Baptist, well, have you found a place of service? Now, I feel kind of funny asking you this, but have you found a place of service at First Baptist? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty busy most of the time in my life. And at First Baptist, for some reason, you guys have been kind enough to allow me to to play music in the worship group on on Sunday mornings, so I do uh, I do get to do that on a on a semi regular basis. Uh, I, I really enjoy doing that. I've I've recently began serving on the personnel committee, uh, and and I was uh, ordained as a deacon here in October of 2016. I'm about to start that again. I'm not sure if that starts in October or November of this year, but but I'll begin to serve as an active deacon again. Um, I think as you probably know, you when you when you come on to that, you serve a three year term, right. and then you come off, and then I, I served the end of uh, another deacon's uh, term, uh, right there for a, for a little period. Oh yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, and so it's a rotating uh, thing, it's a rotating, and, and everybody, somebody, some people rotate off every year, but everyone serves three years unless you pick up, like you say, someone else's term. So yeah, I'm about to start another three year term here. Like I said, either, so either play, October or November. Yeah, you play, you're a deacon, and I, I'm assuming, and personnel, but you've been on various committees, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, and then we, we, we're uh, members with uh, of the, what's called the FISH class. It's, uh, it's taught by Lee Underwood and Philip McAfee. Okay. And those guys are great. We, we, we love being in their class. I know that uh, yourself and Pastor Tom and Scott have all really pushed Sunday school, but if people are not involved in Sunday school, I feel like they're missing – uh, they're missing a lot of great, at least the potential for a lot of great relationships right. here. You know, you you get to know people that you go to church with and you sit next to on Sunday, but you you really begin to do that deep dive with folks and build those relationships right. when you get in a smaller group setting. And so, sure. I couldn't I couldn't advocate for it enough. I love my Sunday school class. We've uh, we've grown some really great relationships and and made some some dear and lifelong friends. Yeah. Because of those Sunday school classes. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, folks will come to a church and they will say, well, that church is so big, I don't know everyone. Well, truthfully, when, when a church gets past 80 or 90 people in the church itself, you can't know everybody anyway, no matter the size of the church. But when you go to a, when you walk through Bible studies together, there's something about that that draws people closer because, you know, you have like a specific thing that you're looking at. And if, if you and me look at a particular passage of Scripture and we explore it and we talk about it, we talk about all the implications of it and how it pertained to you or how it pertained to me, you don't think about it. But as you move through that and go through time, go through years, your families, you pray for one another, you minister to one another, it becomes that's where the closeness occurs in those kind of settings, I guess you'd say. And and we really do. We've got here at First Baptist, we have some incredible Sunday school teachers and, and folks that are involved in that, uh, they will tell you just exactly what you said. It's just a, it's a wonderful thing. Nobody's perfect. Nobody, everybody understands. And that's the wonderful thing about closeness of a group like that. I mean, we're not, 
we're all just sojourners working our way through, you know. So uh, anyway, well, Chad, I know you. I know you're a busy fella, uh, but I it's it's been an honor for me to have you come in and talk with us. But it's been a joy to get to know you and serve with with you over the last well for me five years. I I can't hardly believe that I, when I whenever Tom said that Sunday about me being here five years, I'm like. It just doesn't hardly seem possible, but lots changed, lots stayed the same, but First Baptist is growing, and it's a joy to be here. And folks like you, your family, y'all are a huge part of what make it that way for me and for I know for a lot of people. So thank you for what you do, both in the community, in your in your vocation, and then what you do here at First Baptist. I, I appreciate that and hope that you continue to. Well, and on behalf of myself, my family, we certainly thank you and Susan. You guys have been great to us and been great to get to know you guys over the past five years. I've had an opportunity in that time as well to, to, to really get to know Aaron, your your oldest, and then Elizabeth, uh, yeah. your daughter. Uh, and, and I really couldn't think much more of them. They, oh, yeah. you, you've raised a great family. I don't know your youngest, yeah. but uh, – but but I know your other two, and and I couldn't think much more of them. They're they're just great folks. You've raised a great family, and it's clearly because of the efforts of you and Susan. So, uh, well, God's blessed us. So so and, thank you for your friendship and, well, and your family's friendship. Yeah, well, it's good, Chad. Well, you have a a good day. Thank you for stopping by and and spending some time on the first person podcast. You'll you'll I know you'll be a star now. I don't know how you're going to handle all this with, you know, with, I mean, you may have to get another handler other than the one you already have, you know, but thanks, man. Appreciate you. Have a good day. We'll see you next time on First Person. Thank you for listening to First Person. I want to encourage you to share this podcast with friends and family.